Sleeper in the bust. I am Paul Spohr, joined on Tuesday, as always, by Mr. Eno Saris. Eno, how are you, sir? I've got that frantic, I'm not ready to leave tomorrow feeling. <laughs> oh, so you're leaving on Wednesday. I forgot about that. I'm not leaving until Thursday. So I'll get that feeling all day tomorrow, and it'll be <laughs> wonderfully awful. Uh, yeah, we will be meeting up this weekend. It's going to be awesome. I'm super excited. There's baseball on TV right now. It's, you know, it doesn't count, but it, it's good to have it on. Believe me, it's, I'm, I'm, I'm grateful that it's on, even though I could look up the results to the Cincinnati Cleveland game. Cause I think it's taped delay. I don't even think it's new. <laughs> but uh, I'll take it is on this the TV. Is live baseball I'm watching right now? I don't uh, – somebody was mentioning this game earlier, so I don't think this one is. Obviously, the Toronto-Pittsburgh one was. Like I said, I don't care. I leave MLB Network on all day throughout yeah. the month of March, <laughs> just letting it roll. Uh, well, we get to see some live baseball soon. And uh, just got this in my inbox. Uh, it looks like you will be working labor. Boom. And uh, we'll be in the room for uh, one of the oldest, uh, one of the coolest uh, drafts I've ever been a part of is AL Labor on, on Saturday. I cannot even, uh, like, just being, first off, being part of the mixed league draft, but then just going to be in the room for that is, is going to be so crazy because my, my first experience with fantasy baseball, my, my, my guide, my Bible was what they call their Leviathan, which is the Baseball Weekly, now Sports Weekly, but but the big preview that they did that was what we lived off of uh my first league was with my parents that league's still going on actually both parents are in it um and we use that thing as the bible now both my parents still do i don't use it so much as a bible but i still get it every year and so we'd always look at the labor results for both leagues read all the strategies and it was so great and so to actually be in the room i'm i'm really geeked about that i'm i'm really excited so that's going to be a lot of fun and uh, we'll get you, you know, kind of ready for for at least one part of your labor draft here. We're doing catchers today. We're doing a full catcher preview. So uh, you can talk a bit about backstops that you, you – maybe we can throw some guys off the scent, start talking about some guys that uh, you don't really like, but pump them up, get your labor competitors thinking that you're going to go hard for them. But, oh, it's, uh, it's tough, man. I was just – I was on uh, the Colton and the Wolfman's show. They've got an excellent show on, on – uh, Serious, yeah. Serious, yeah. Uh, Glenn Colton and Rick Wolf, that um, longtime fantasy uh, fantasy gods, really. And, and uh, they, they had me on the show, and I realized that they at least listen from time to time, uh, if not regularly. <laughs> Uh-oh. Okay, well, then you may to play, play something close to the best because they, they're smart. You know, they <laughs> like, and I, I don't mean the pun there because for those that know their, their, their program, their plan is called the smart plan and each, it's an acronym. Obviously each letter stands for something. So there, there's stuff's out there though. So if you want to figure out how to play against them, they put the smart plan out there so you can kind of figure it out, but you still can't Man, beat them. That's how good they are. It's a big difference between the guy like Larry Schechter and myself. Larry has a lot of time on his hands to, to scout the opposition. Oh, absolutely! Uh, I there was to run a couple pieces to write every day. I have no idea what those guys are talking about. Right there now. was a lot of talk about that. I believe on the Chris List and Jeff uh, Erickson show on Monday on Sirius, they were talking about Larry 
and and kind of scouting the opposition and knowing what what people are going to do. So it, it's crazy. It's going to be very interesting. I can't wait to watch y'all do it. I'll, I'll be I'll be working the board. And I'm very excited about that. But let's talk some backstops here. Let's dive in first to the strategy. And then we'll kind of start at the top and move down. And the first question is the easy one. It's just kind of right off the bat. You know, do you specifically ever advise paying up for Posey? He's the clear number one. I don't think there's a case even to be made for anybody else, particularly with LaCroix's injury, which we'll get into. But uh, let, let's just say he is the clear number one. Do you ever pony up for him? I mean, the problem I have with it really is, uh, let's say, is your sort of standard league situation, mm-hmm. is that I see a huge tier that probably starts just if behind Devin Mezzarocco. Hmm? Uh, sorry, I, I was going to say, you know, after him, that there, there, after Posey, who goes around the 22nd to 25th pick, depending. Actually, I'm looking at Fantasy Pros now, and they call together several sites. So they have him as an average 26th pick. The next guy is Lucroy, who's going at pick 70. So you yeah. jump down there, and then that's well, that big tier. of his tier. own, yes. But then the, I think there's probably a little mini tier after that of Lucroy, Gattis, Mizoraco. Yeah. Maybe you put Gomes and McCann in there, maybe don't. But then the rest is just a big glob. I mean, I, I, I've had a joke going for a while that, you know, there's a ton, there's like, you know, 30 catchers that can hit 260 with 10 homers. So No, you're right. Uh, yeah, and I feel like that that describes probably everywhere from Yadier Molina to uh, John Jaso, you know. And, and, of course, some guys will hit for a little bit better average. Some guys will hit for more power. So I'm just sort of describing this value sure. set, you know. Now, but let's that say I don't, this. Let's yeah. say this, though. There, there, are, there is that big group that can go 260 and 10. You're going to get double that with the uh, homers from Posey, and you're going to get about 50, 50, we'll say 50 more points. Probably you can get more on the average, but let's just call it around 50 there and say 310 is the average. So you are getting something for that premium. It's not like you're just getting a small gain. You're going to get double the homers, the big average, and because of the way they utilize him, the Giants, they'll put him at first base with some regularity. Uh, Let's see, last year, 35 2013 21 the year before that 29 uh, obviously the year before that was the injury year but even back to 2010 it was 30 games so Posey's been playing first base with regularity forever and so that helps him with the volume because now the last three years he's gotten 600 in uh, 600 plate appearances pretty much on the dot on average so he has the big advantages that require you know that are worth the premium. I'm just asking if you think it's if it's ever advisable, or do you just wait for the glob because you're okay with a couple guys that can go 10 and 260 with a little bit of upside, um, depending on who who that guy is. I think in a two catcher league, I'm much more likely to, to pony up. But in a in a one catcher league, I just uh, changed the auction calculator to a one catcher league, mm-hmm. uh, keeping everything else in the normal. And, and Buster Posey's still a top 25 bat, but he's He's basically like 22nd. So, you know, $20 player, yes. Top player, yes. Top 25 bat, yes. But, you know, a 22 bat, uh, by that time, you've probably seen five to ten pitchers go. Yeah. Um, so I guess what I'm saying is, and I, and I don't see, I don't see enough. I don't see, like, him hitting 30 homers, you know. No, no. The, yeah. o- the only place that he would really super explode would be the batting average, again, the way he did 
in in 2012 at, at right. 336. I think that's the only way. I'm not saying that's not valuable. I, sure. I, I, Totally comfortable with him being a top 25 bat, yes. But uh, when you say, you know, 22 ADP, 25 ADP, that suggests to me he's a little bit overvalued. Although, you know, you never know where those ADPs are coming from. If they're coming from all, if they're all coming from one catcher leagues, then I think he's a little bit overvalued. If uh, if that's a two catcher setup, um, I, I don't know if that's right in front of you. But if it's two catcher setup, then I'm then I'm on board. I mean, well, I, 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 think I think that's a major, major difference to, to point out there. The one, one versus two catcher. Cause at one catcher, I can't, I, I don't do it. I can't really justify it. And two catchers, I'm much more comfortable doing it. And it's a mix here because they're, they've got, uh, they've got NFBC, CBS, Yahoo, ESPN, real time sports and fan tracks. That's what, that's what fantasy pros has. So I know ESPN, for example, their standard is one catcher and he's the 24th yeah. pick, but NFBC has two catchers and he's the 21st pick. So yeah. that's that's not that's not even much of a difference, really. Um, even though it goes one catcher to two catcher, fifteen team to ten team. It, it, I think it's honestly it's possible he's undervalued in the NFBC number yep. and overvalued in the ESPN number because completely agree. I'd I'd put him around thirty in a one catcher league, but I I he you know he's almost a first rounder in in uh, two catcher leagues, and it's just because you know that tier that I'm talking about. I think it mysteriously ends right around twenty. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I see John Jaso and Miguel Montero in the Rotographs uh, consensus rankings. They're at 17 and 18. I see Jason Castro at 19, Jared Saltamaki at 20, and then I just maybe Carlos Ruiz at 22. But if I'm getting one of the last um, mixed team, mixed league two catcher guys, Alex Avila, Chris Ineta, Rene Rivera, I'm feeling really nervous. Mm-hmm. Like those guys, you know, are are not good. No, no. Ruiz old as hell. Avila super injury prone back there. I know catchers are in general, but he seems to take a bigger brunt. Yeah. And Ionet is really stabilized, kind of is what he is. No real power upside, no longer in Colorado, yeah, and more of an OBP. But, you know, Rene Rivera busted out at 31, you know? So yeah. I feel like... And we'll talk, we'll talk about him. We'll talk. We'll actually get right. to him. But I want to ask you, you mentioned one guy, John Jason. So my strategy would be just, especially in one catcher leagues, just wait. Is wait. Yeah. And I, I don't need to wait. I don't need to be militant about it because, you know, I, I've had these rules before and I've seen other touts talk about rules like don't take a pitcher before the 10th round, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, or, or I used to have a rule. Don't take a catcher until the very last round in a mixed league with one catcher that very early on that made sense. But then everybody knows, oh, well, you know, it's not taking catch to the last round. So I'll take my catcher in the second last round. So. You know, the more you know the people around you, the more these rules are silly. So, you know, I'd be willing, you know, later on, I'd I'd rather have Yasmani Grandal than Mike Zanino or Willen Rosario. So Mm -hmm. I'm willing to pay a round or something to make sure I get Yasmani Grandal. You know what I mean? A little bit more. Absolutely. Um, But not, not much more. Let's talk about some guys who are being boosted up a bit for, for one specific reason. And I'll ask you how much, if at all, that you're boosting these two guys. And these are the catchers who aren't going to catch. And so that's Evan Gaddis and John Jay. So and one of the big factors I mentioned about Posey was that he logs the plate appearances that you, you don't typically find catching. Well, Gaddis probably going to play outfield, first base, DH. I mean, he can kind of do whatever. They're going to they're gonna, they don't want him catching, I don't think, very much at all, though. They have Jason Castro. I think they also have Hank Conger, too. So they got the three catchers or three guys that can catch. I, I'm, I'm hesitant to call Gaddis a catcher. But for our purposes, <laughs> he is, and that's huge. And then John Jaso, they basically told him, don't even bring a catcher's glove 
it ain't going to happen because he's been dealing with so many concussions and so many issues with that that he's going to be a full DH. So now we're looking at two guys here who are going to get the full run because Jaso I think is going to get tons of playing time now. Maybe not 600, but even 500 would be a career high for plate appearances for Jaso. So how do you value these two with this with this bonus added in? Do you give them a big bonus or are you, are you still kind of just treating them as you were before that? Adding replacement back in is is one of the hardest things to about valuations, and, and we have on the auction calculator the ability to 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 add replacement level back in. And basically, what you're saying is, I'm going to try and and add the waiver wire guy that will come in when that guy's hurt, or the bench guy that can come in and give me more innings or more plate appearances. I'm going to add that to this player's value, and it's it's extremely important with a guy like Troy Tulowitzki to think about this sort of thing because. He's so amazing for 130 games. If you could just pick up Eric Ibar for the next 30 games, you'd still have you'd have a really amazing shortstop by the end of the year. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's relevant here too, because if you have a really big bench, especially like you know Ottenew, there's two catcher slots for 162 games. So you've got two catcher slots. You're only trying to get 162 games out of them, and then you've got you know 18 bench slots. In that kind of situation, you could totally have four you know, just platoon catcher bats and just put them in every time they're facing lefties or whatever, you know? So you, you could just get guys, you could just, you know, play Michael McHenry at home and, um, you know, with the platoon advantage and whoever, you know, David Ross with the platoon advantage, play all those guys. And, you know, so then you either want to lead or you want nothing. You don't want to lead at all, you know? Yeah. Um, but it's, it, you know, for most leagues, I found that it's hard to roster an extra catcher. Like in a standard Yahoo league where you've got three, four, five bench slots, I don't want to oh, yeah. use catcher because that's that's my upside play. I, I, I put, you know, uh, long shot starting pitchers there. I put prospects there on that bench. You know, I don't really spend a lot of time. I want my players to play. No, I do, I do the same with that for sure. Uh, yeah. These two guys there's, specifically. There's only though, nine. There was only nine catchers that qualified for the batting title last year. Exactly. And, and that, that's the whole point with these two guys because you can really get some leveraged uh, plate appearances there and you don't have to worry about that replacement level. And so I think that's why Gaddis specifically is being very uh, boosted up big yeah. time because of his power, the park he's moving to, and the fact that he's not going to have to catch. And then Jaso, I think, is more of a sneaky type. You know, especially like an OBP league, or even as your C two. I just I'm I bumped both of them up pretty significantly. Well, yeah, the plate appearances are great. I mean, three of them managed 600 plate appearances. One was Salvador Perez, who got you know worked into the ground, and the other two were Lucroy and Posey, who played first base. So, you know, at the same time, McCann had some you know chances to do that sort of thing, and they mm-hmm. found other reasons to rest him, and he only managed 538 player appearances. And then Jaso himself is a good example of, you know, the correct situation, everything lining up, and then you know, um, just being hurt. So Gaddis has has hurt himself in in the outfield, and you know, just you know, about around the house sort of things. So. Yeah, and so, so that that could be worrisome too, because you know he's not catching, but he is still playing outfield, and he's not necessarily mobile. At least it's a kind of a small outfield, and usually you don't have to track anything down over your head too much, because if it's over your head in in Houston, it's out of the park. Uh, there's also a group of guys. Um, 
that that kind of get this boost as well. We talked about Posey. He had 35 games at first last year. You mentioned McCann, 16 at first, 14 at DH. Lucroy gets 19 at first. Yosemio Pinto got 21 at DH last year. Kenise Vargas could cut into that this year, but I still think Suzuki is going to get a lion's share of that playing time, so they are going to have to fit Pinto in elsewhere because he does have a, a, a good bat. And then Yasmani Grandal got 37 at first base last year, but that was in San Diego where they didn't even have enough players to, to roster an offense at times, or so it seemed. I, that's just my guess based on the numbers. I, I just, I look at the numbers. I'm like, there's no way they were using nine players then, um, but he's unlikely to repeat that this year with, with Alex Gonzalez, or excuse me, Adrian Gonzalez there. So um, I wouldn't necessarily count on him for the big boosted uh, plate appearance possibility. But I also do like Grandal. I know you mentioned him earlier, and we'll talk. I wonder if by the transitive property, this will work for Derek Norris. I mean, right? they still don't really have a good situation at first in, in San Diego. The problem is that, I mean, maybe against lefties, you could you could slot Norris in at first because yep. he's, he's strong versus, versus lefties. He made a lot of strides against righties. I'm just... I'm not sure that he's the kind of bat that you that you change things up for. I mean, there's there's chances for Matt Kemp at first. Uh, uh, and honestly, they might just go. They might if Alonzo doesn't, you know, totally suck and it takes the right-handed ones. Uh, Tommy Medica or Medica, Medica, yeah. right? Uh, Tommy Medica could take the other side of that platoon there. I mean, he does rake lefties, so right. he he could be the guy there too. You know, Carlos Quinton is still lingering on that team, and then of course and you they were talking about him playing first base recently. Yeah, yeah, and then Kemp and Myers have both been uh, Kemp, Myers specifically. They both been rumored, so that could cut into Norris getting that shot. But again, you be aware of those kinds of guys because they get that potential boost there. I think the guys that have the best Best chance to do it again this year. Still Posey, uh, Lucroy, Pinto, uh, McCann possibly. Yeah, because I, I don't think uh, you know Teixeira is not the not a stalwart of health. Um, a Rod is DHing. You know, obviously we have no idea what's going to happen with him. So I think McCann is still a guy who could get the, that boost too. Again, but he has to stay healthy too. So um, yeah, it's very interesting for you to hear you bring up Pinto. You know. I just wonder what the defense, you know, how they think of his defense. I know that a lot of the Kurt Suzuki signing was about defense, but, you know, once his offense craters, will they, you know, will they start to look, you know, look elsewhere for, for help on that team? I do think that. I, I bet no, because honestly, I think that you're, you're right. And, and, and the problem is with Pinto is the juxtaposition of, of defending with Suzuki there. I, yeah. I bet it makes him look 10 times worse. If it was Derek Norris and Jose Pinto, they'd be like, oh. Pinto's not that bad, (laughs) but (laughs) Suzuki's so good, um, or at least has the reputation of such that I think even as his offense dwindles and it's already at, you know, it was barely above league average last year and, and, and well below for a couple years before that, even as that happens, I'm not certain that he'll lose the play. It took him a while to lose the playing time finally in Oakland too. So, um, I'd be surprised if they're, if they are quick to move him out of there and get Pinto back in. If, if, I mean, I'd love honest. to. I'd love to tout Pinto as a as a as a sleeper because the bat I think is is decent. But more on that later. I, I have to cut you yeah. off. More on more on that later because Pinto, spoiler alert, is one of my one of my uh, sleeper types. All right. But, but I got to ask you. Uh, okay, so we're still talking strategy here, and you mentioned that Posey probably not your thing. Let, let's assume two catcher league. By the way, for the 
wide majority of leagues that I'm uh, that I'm aware of, they are two catchers. Honestly, if it's one catcher, we've already given the strategy. It really is weight. Barring something crazy, maybe if Posey is randomly there at you know pick 45 or something, go ahead and grab him. But in a one catcher league, basically weight. Now, if we're talking two catcher though, do you go two mid level guys, or do you like to go mid level and uh, you know late guy, or do you punt? Which of those three strategies do you like best? Two mid-levels, a mid-level, and more of a punt, or double punt, like two $1 catchers? Last year at Labor, I spent $10 combined on Derek Norris and Hank Conger. I, I would have loved that coming out of the draft. Obviously, Norris still was good, but I loved Conger last I year. wrenched my arm out of my back congratulating myself. <laughs> but uh, Hank Conger, you know – didn't do anything. Didn't do his part. I wonder. I wonder if the strategy was fine, or I mean, I didn't spend a lot, but you really, when you get nothing from a catcher, you get nothing. Literally. So, In fact, you get negative. Right. So I, I feel pretty good that maybe I can identify a four to six dollar catcher that's worth a, a shot, but I also kind of feel like I'd rather spend ten, twelve bucks mm-hmm. and and get one. Uh, more guaranteed type catcher, even if it's a one without a lot of upside. I mean, I, I don't know what, you know, what that means in, in, in AL labor, but maybe, I don't know what Zunino's going to go for, but I don't think he really has great batting average upside. I, I hope that people don't think he's an amazing catcher in the waiting. He's, he's, I, I think there will be some love for him. Maybe not necessarily in labor, but I think there is, there's a lot of love rising for him based on what he did last year. I don't even know that people are looking for him to be a batting average asset, but they're, they're, they're convincing themselves wrongly. I might add uh, that he can bounce up to, you know, two thirty, two forty, And that might even be a stretch. Jason Collette is beating the, the crap out of that drum. And, and the key problem for Zunino, he can't hit anything with a wrinkle. So it's going to no. get to the point where they just don't throw him any fastballs. And yeah, he'll still get some homers, but even in, in today's era, I don't think you can justify a 199 too much. I know in today's era we can talk about a 240 as passable, but a 199, ew, that's tough. Yeah, well, if it's not him, then maybe some boring veteran like Ineta and Avila after I just made yeah. fun of them. They, well, you know, no, no, I, I hear They're, they're fine at two-catcher, you know, 12-team AL only. So, um, you know, Get somebody that is more assured of more playing time. So so get get a, get a playing time floor guy, and then get a get a playing time upside guy. You know, and then and then maybe for fifteen dollars, I actually get two catchers who caught most of their games. <laughs> exactly. Um, Baseball HQ they put out the forecaster every year. They do a great job with that. And they, the the real key of that book is the is the work in the front. Everyone goes for the player profiles and the projections, but the articles and abstracts that they do in the front are amazing. And one of the ones that they did, they profile the end game and they they talk about you know the one dollar pickups. And they've come out to the conclusion that the worst investment for the one dollar end game there is catcher. Uh, it, it, the average profit is the lowest. The average loss is the second highest, first highest on offense. And the average value is actually negative. So when you're taking a $1 catcher, you're on average getting, a, you're losing a $1.68. Whereas every other position pans out uh, for at least a plus profit, even if it's as low as 35 cents, which is what it is for relief pitchers. So waiting. But, you know, I think nowhere can you see that better in the fact that I took, 
two one dollar catchers and I spent ten dollars for them last year. There you go. <laughs> I mean, that's there. If you're if if Derek Norris last year and Hank Conger last year are not one dollar catchers, then you you know what a one dollar catcher looks like. Yeah, I mean, and I used to be the guy who would would literally pencil in my spots when I'm making out my auction strategy. I'd put one one in the two catcher slots there, purposely go that way to save the money and spend it elsewhere. And and that doesn't factor that in. I think they even talk about that in the piece in the in the in the forecaster. They say, listen, obviously if you're getting two one dollar catchers, you're spending money elsewhere. But still, if you're not panning out elsewhere or, or hitting above, then then you're going to lose out. So it might not be the best to completely wait on two both catchers. Again, I stand by the if it's a late if it's a one catcher league and it's twelve teams or fewer, then then just wait. I've got no problem with that. But if it's two catchers. You gotta be, you gotta be careful uh, about just waiting way 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 late and going dollar dollar because you're probably gonna get big zeros there or even negatives and it's gonna put some uh, onus on the rest of your your auction there. Let's talk uh, some player specific stuff here. Now we mentioned a little bit about the tiers up at the top there. I think you we agree Posey is a tier by himself or or would you say Lucroy's in there? Uh, I'm gonna take back some of those extra plate appearances for Luke Roy's hammy. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and yeah, I'll, I'll put Posey by himself. Okay. And so then that would thicken up that second tier, which we briefly talked about, but I'll outline that for me in your estimation. I think it, uh, mostly Luke Roy, Masarocco, Gaddis, Gomes. Is that the four or are you saying more or less? Yeah, I'd be tempted. Um, I, I like McCann personally. Mm-hmm. Um, but, uh, I mean, especially if you look at the steamer projections, um, McCann and Gomes are projected for similar batting averages and McCann is, is projected for eight more homers and has the, uh, has a little bit more of an open, uh, field when it comes to DHing and getting extra time in. So, I mean, I think if you put Gomes in, you want to put McCann in, um, so I, 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 it gets a little murky there. I, I think Luke Roy, Gattis, Mezzarocco. I feel good about that. That, that's a, that's a trio for me. And then I think there's a tier of Gomes, McCann, Perez, Molina. Those are all veterans that have done it before. Uh, good batting averages for, for the catcher position. All have representative power. I don't ever, never really believed in Molina's power outburst, but you know, I, I give him double digits and the best batting average of the group. Uh, I think those four are a group, and then you got a group of a little bit of long shots and health health guys and and bounce backs and stuff like that at the bottom, the a bottom of the sort of mixed league. Absolutely, I, I I think it's I really like kind of that second tier. I, I kind of want to get a guy in there, but uh, it, it's just it's really going to depend on pricing. Like I said, Gaddis has been shooting up in some instances. I know there's some real big Jan Gomes believers. Mezzarocco has his believers. So I think McCann might actually be that value guy because I think everyone thinks that he sucked last year. I shouldn't say everyone because obviously you don't, but I think there's a perception out there that that he kind of sucked, and I'm not sure that that's the case. You know, didn't he still hit 23 bombs? I mean that. That works, and I know the average was down, and we're actually going to talk about him specifically. In fact, let's just let's jump forward to that real quick, and then we'll loop back to the other questions. Is Brian McCann done as a batting average asset? He hit 
286 in his first seven seasons, and then 238 the last three. We, we, we have a decent reason as to why it would be the shift, but do you think he's kind of done uh, because of the shift as a batting average asset? Well, he was the third most shifted player in baseball last year behind David Ortiz and, and Ryan Howard, and he was shifted only seven times uh, less often than, than, than Howard. So he's up there. He also, of those three, had the worst BABIP into the shift. But that actually gives me a little bit of, of, of hope. I mean, David Ortiz hit 250 into the shift. Ryan Howard hit 270 into the shift. Brian McCann, in one year with 311 balls as your sample, hit 215 into the shift. I, you know, I, don't, I don't think that's the end of his career. You know, I don't, I don't, see, I don't see him as being figured out. Um, so, uh, you know, 230, 256, 232. I still see a chance for a 240, 250 season in there, especially, you know, his batting, his career batting average is better. And, mm -hmm. You know, a one year sample of, of, of bad into the shift is, is not enough for me. Sure. That, that, and that's fair. Who comes closer to a repeat, Devin Mazzarocco or Jan Gomes? These were the two hot breakouts last year. Uh, Mazzarocco did his in short order, too, which was impressive because he got hurt again, unfortunately, uh, but still popped 25 homers in just 440 plate appearances. Jan Gomes had kind of his breakthrough. You know, it's parsing of the words here, but he probably had his breakthrough in 2013. Uh, with 13 homer, or excuse me, with 11 homers in 88 games, and then break out in 2014 with 21 homers in a full season, 518 plate appearances. So, which of those two guys, in your estimation, uh, is more likely to hold up? And I'll mention one other thing: Mesoraco probably has the better pedigree. He came up as more of a prospect, whereas Gomes kind of broke out uh, a little bit more unexpectedly. So, who are you betting on bigger uh, for 2015? Yeah, I'm taking Mesoraco. That's part of the reason. Um... You know, amazingly, Mesoraco is only a year younger, so it did take him a little bit of time to get going. But, mm -hmm. I, you know, the scouts saw something in Mesoraco they really liked, and, and so he was, he's got more of that pedigree. Also, Gomes, the last two years, and, it, you know, Babbitt takes forever to, to normalize. But, you know, he's, he's got like a career 330 Babbitt. And I'm just, and it's only in 800, 900 play appearances. That's, that's, it's a quote unquote only when it comes to Babbitt, because Babbitt takes, years and years so mm -hmm. you know i i think that um i'm not sure that he'll even have a 301 bab if I, I i did some research on this a while back the average bab for catchers is 285 so okay. while the while the group of baseball players in general has around a 300 bab that just by being a catcher you're you're in a different group and i don't see that you know gomes is he's not like you know russell martin uh fleet of foot and he doesn't have uh a really low pop-up rate or anything. So um, you're depending on him to have another line drive rate of 24%, which is uh, sort of a league-leading type thing. Yeah. Um, and it's line drive rate, which is super noisy year to year. So I I, I like that Gomes finally showed the power that he, said, he suggested he could have in the minor leagues. So I do believe his power to some extent. But with Mesoraco, he had the power – he also has better plate discipline, has a better home park, is a year younger, more more pedigree. I think it's it's fairly safe for me that I'd rather have Mazzarocco. That's fair. I, I love Gomes, um, but I, I think everything you're saying is completely fair there. Uh, 
as a reason to, to, to favor Mesoraco. I really hope that Mesoraco can keep it up. By the way, I want to make this point uh, quickly. We're not really talking about uh, Carlos Santana at all because he doesn't qualify across all formats. Obviously, where he does qualify, I think Yahoo, uh, he gets the bump up. But uh, otherwise, he's a third baseman. So that, that's why we're not going to have a ton of Carlos Santana talk. I'm trying to think if there's anybody else who fits that, uh, who kind of lost their catcher eligibility. I think Steven Vogt down at the bottom end, he might have it in, in some formats too, but he doesn't have it in, in the number, in, in the main formats where you got to have 20 games. So if, if you're wondering why we're not talking about somebody who's on the fringes there with regards to their catcher eligibility, obviously Santana's not a fringe player, but that's why. I just wanted to make that disclaimer. Uh, next up. I think Vote oh. is actually uh, closer. I mean, I think Vote's the, the catcher in, in Oakland. So. Well, yeah. So he, he so you can draft him and wait, whereas Santana, if you draft him um, thinking that you're going to get it in season, it would take something special because it, it it's not set up to happen otherwise. Gomes yeah. is the main guy, and Roberto Perez, I think, is probably going to make this club as the backup. They don't want him catching. It would take something catastrophic. Whereas, like you said, vote. If you want to take him late, slot him somewhere, and, and put some garbage catcher as your last pick, knowing that you're going to slide vote in there, I'm fine with that. And I, and I think um... – I think I'm actually reasonably excited about Vote because I like his contact rate. I know he doesn't have the OVP, the walk rate that you might expect, and it's a little bit weird of a, a line because he, he he almost looks like a – it's not slap hitting. He almost looks like a middle infielder because yeah. he, he's kind of like a 150 ISO with a like a 12% strikeout rate. It's not what you see out of a catcher, but it – you Especially know, at 30. If he, yeah, but if he was a middle infielder, you might actually project that guy for a good batting average. So – um, you know, I like guys that put balls into play and, uh, and he does that and he's got a little bit of power. I'd actually slot vote in maybe above, uh, Chirinos, uh, above Avila, you know, I, there's something to like about him. Uh, I agree. with, with Rene Rivera, there was a late breakout, but there's not real reason to believe in it with vote. It's a little bit more that like his skills weren't appreciated and his his defense was knocked, but he kind of just worked and worked at it. And I, I think I see him a little different. I think Rene Rivera is valued because of his defense and his offense was kind of flukish, whereas I think Vote had to make his defense good enough for them to play him every day. But he's gotten to that point. For some reason, I, I, I'd rather bet on the bat. I mean, that makes sense. I'd rather bet on the sure. bat than the than the glove. So, um, yeah, I think Vote is a top 25 uh, catcher for me well and and vote um also you know made himself capable to play in the first base and outfield too so that kind of helps you know as he kind of worked on that catcher defense to, to get some reps he's thinking at least i can get some playing time somewhere by the way he's also hilarious um uh, if you <laughs> yeah. just google steven vote basketball he does this basketball ref routine i think it started in the clubhouse last year and he brought it on to intentional talk and it just happened to be one of the days that i was watching and it was so funny. I think they were interviewing Josh Reddick, and he came on, and he did this bit. So just Google Stephen Vote basketball. You'll find it right away. It had me rolling. I, I really liked it. So that's not a reason to draft him. It's just a, a plus one in, in, in favor of Vote. Maybe if you have a tie between two guys, you're like, who do I pick? Pick the guy who's funnier for, for no reason at all. <laughs> uh, so, okay, uh, who is the better defense first bet? And that would be between Yadier Molina and Sal Perez. These two guys are going to be out there 
almost as much as possible. You mentioned it earlier. Perez was basically running to the ground. We've seen Molina play. You know, you got to pry him out of the lineup uh, to, to give him a day off there. He doesn't want to come out. So those two guys, they're going to be back there as much as their managers will allow. So you can get the volume, at least as far as catchers go, they're going to be high volume, but which is the better bat? Cause neither has a massive bat just yet. Well, I, I shouldn't say, uh, just yet on Molina. He is what he is, but that 22 Homer 12 steel season from, uh, from 2012, that's, that's, uh, uh, the clear outlier. He's about a nine Homer guy, uh, maybe higher, maybe, maybe low teens, but not 22 and then big batting average. And then Sal Perez is still kind of emerging, but he still hasn't shown that he's a huge bat just yet. So which of those two do you prefer? I, I would say Salvador Perez just because he's 24. So he's pre peak in, in most, uh, uses of the word. Um, his power growth was pretty organic and not all crazy out of one year, like Yadier Molina's. So, you know, I think he's a fairly solid bet for more home runs. Um, he has a similar type contact rate, so he could have a similar type batting average to Yadier Molina. So I see him as comfortably beating him in a lot of ways. The only thing that bothers me is that he was just worked into the ground. Yeah. Uh, and Hardcore. I, and it's hard. I mean, it's, this isn't one of those things where you can say, oh, you know, I, I've got this regression equation and, you know, catchers that caught this many or whatever, you know, in the postseason did this. But I just remember, and, and I hate to have singular moments change what I think about the future, but, you know, he got drilled in one of those games. But I think it might have even been in a Bumgarner at-bat or something. It was a, there was a big at-bat in the World Series. I remember him getting drilled and falling down on the ground, and it looked like he was hurt. It looked like he was like he was out. Like he mm -hmm. that was it for him. Yeah, I remember and that. Even after that, I think after that he he was kind of gimping around. And we never really heard that that was any a big deal. I remember Lorenzo Cain too. Lorenzo Cain uh was took you know, pulled his hammy. Uh like pulled like touched his hammy after and pulled up lame at second base one time. And everybody was asking him, "How's the hammy?" And he said, "Oh, nothing nothing's wrong. Nothing wrong." I heard him sort of grumbling about reporters on the way out of uh, people questioning him on a hamstring. But we all saw him grab it, and we all saw Salvador Perez fall down. And, you know, these these things might go away, or they might, they might pop back up again. But whatever it is, they play him a lot, and that's good news for the plate appearances. He is 24 years old and may be fine. Um, if you're going to make me choose between the two, I'll take Sal Perez. Okay, that's fine. And... This might not make a huge difference, but I, I think I'll mention it because it's more of an equalizer that might make them a little bit closer. There's about a 20-pick difference between them um, in most drafts. Uh, I'm actually looking at the Fantasy Pros. They've only got about a 15-pick difference here, whereas NFBC does have a full 25 picks. So if it's at 25 picks, does that change anything? Or are you still thinking that you'll, you'll pay the, the one-round premium for the younger guy? I think I'll probably just pass on both of them. Um, I mean, wh where are those picks? What numbers? That would be 154 for Sal Perez and 179 for Molina, and that, that's a 15-teamer. So that's, what, the 11th and 12th rounds? Yeah, I think I've, I'm, I'm gonna, I'd pass because I like Travis Darnot a lot. Okay. Well, we'll get to him, so don't go too deep on him. But I'm just saying, uh, let me just name the rest of the next guys, the next five guys in the Rotographs consensus rankings. Travis okay. Darno, Russell Martin, Matt Wieters, 
Wilson Ramos, Yasmani Grandel. They go got, almost in that order, by the way, um, at NFBC. Very close to that order. And that would mean that would mean in my little in my little draft window, the tier is healthy, you mm-hmm. know. And if Yadier Molina wants to drop, you know, to 170, 190 or something, then I then I'll then I'll buy the sort of security that his batting average gives you. But his health is no secure thing, and uh, he's one of the older ones, so. You know, I, I'd, I'd just wait. Okay. I'd just wait and let somebody else choose that one, really. Speaking of, one of the guys that you mentioned and also injury concerns, well, talk to me a bit about Matt Weeders. I don't have a specific question because obviously we're coming off a, a dead season almost because of the Tommy John surgery. How do you feel about Matt, Matt Weeders coming into this season? It looked like he might have been ready for a breakout, but it's really difficult to say that based on 26 games uh, of him having, you know, a big batting average and and some nice power. Otherwise, he's been a solid, you know, above average 20 plus homers and about uh, 75-ish RBIs the three years before that. Uh, with a modest average that that was actually backsliding from 262, 249, 235, um, and that's 2011 to 2013. How do you feel about Matt Weeders? I think that he's underprojected power-wise, and I think it's due to the injury. And um, I would actually, I, I don't see why he needs to go from having four straight years of a 180 to 190 ISO. Uh, 28 years old. I don't think he needs to drop to 160. So um, I feel very comfortable valuing him as a 240 hitter with 20 home runs. Okay. And um, you know, you know, 20 home runs at this position, you know, especially at his draft position, you know, Jeff Zimmerman did the numbers on on position players and Tommy John. It's not that big a deal. The only thing would be. With a catcher, maybe slightly bigger deal because they want you to be able to make the throws to second. But sure, um, I think that they have enough flexibility where they could even have him on the team and not catching uh, every day at first. So, um, I, I I think that um, I might own Weeders a couple times this year. Yeah, because I mean they could flip him uh, to DH and and finagle. You know the outfield isn't necessarily set in stone outside of Jones. It's not like Diaz and Travis Snyder. Even though I like actually like both a little bit, it's not like either of them are saying, "Hey, we got this job 100%." So Pierce could flip to the outfield for some games, and Weeders can DH. So there are ways to get him in there even when he's not catching. I completely agree with that. So that that's a good call, and I'm with you on uh, picking up a few shares this year. I've always loved Weeders. Last year was like the first year that I actually didn't get him anywhere. And then uh, he was getting off to that hot start. I'm like, oh, great. Of course, I'm going to miss the breakout after staying true to him for so long. And then he got hurt. And I didn't cheer for that. Don't don't worry. I'm not I'm not a morbid jerk. But I was like, okay, at least I didn't miss the breakout. Let's talk some new faces, new places. We've already briefly mentioned some of them. We already talked Gaddis. Let's dive a little bit deeper into some of these guys. Uh, Russell Martin heading over to Toronto. I'd say outside of Gaddis, he's the best uh, or, or, or the most hyped up new face, new place, because people are really excited to see what he can do in Toronto. Uh, how do you feel about Mr. Martin returning to his home country? <laughs> that that uh, that seems like a beat writer question right there. Right. Um, 
I, 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 I shouldn't have phrased it as if that was going to influence I you. I was yes, just, I know <laughs> it's just a joke. Um, it is interesting that he's, he's only played maybe two seasons in with his home park as a, as a hitter friendly one. And, and, you know, had his second and third best Homer seasons. No. So it's really tempting to look back at his Yankee career and say, Oh, you know what you can do in Toronto is, you know, hit 230 with 20 homers. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's so different than what he did last year. It's going to, it's really interesting to, to, to wonder if he's going to take that sprayer. Hey y'all, it's Paul. Sorry for the random cutoff there. We had a situation where my Skype deleted itself right in the middle of the podcast and I had to install or excuse me, uninstall and reinstall. And in that in that time, Eno had to go, so we had we had to finish up. We had to kind of cut it there, but uh, we will still be back on Thursday from Arizona uh, with something. Maybe finish up the catchers and then move on. But uh, sorry about that. But I think we covered you know a good uh, what 43 ish minutes of catchers. So hopefully that's enough. But uh, if you have any catcher questions, you can get us on Twitter at Spore and at Eno Saris. Until next time. Boom, 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 boom,